Hello, and thank you for joining us for How Have You Not Seen, a movie podcast where we fill in the gaps in each other's cinematic knowledge by asking important questions like, you seriously haven't seen broadcast news, or you never watched Vanilla Sky, or how have you not seen Pan's Labyrinth? And thank you again for joining us for Have Up You Not Seen. I am your co-host, Caroline Thompson. I'm the other one, Carson Betts. And this is a movie podcast where each week we pick one of our favorite movies that the other hasn't seen. We talk about it. Then we go and watch the movie. And we talk about it some more. It's going to be a real good time. Is it? Well, I mean, recording this podcast with you is always a really good time, Carson. Yeah. I have a very good time uh, hanging out with you I, on Zoom once a week yes. and talking I, I, about movies. I agree. I agree. But I'm saying in terms of this movie, it, is the it viewing like, experience of this film going it, to be it very seems fun? like it's going to be a little twisted? Yeah, almost certainly not. It's uh, it's OK. It is. It is a we'll get into it. But I, I, I yeah. think this is a, a, a very beautifully made film that is uh, quite devastating on many levels. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that being said, Carson. How have you not seen Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah, yeah this one is, I, I mean, I, you know, I feel like every five weeks or so we get to one where we're like, shit, this is pr- particularly like egregious that you haven't yeah. seen it. Because like, because like, I, I mean, I, I love Del Toro. I fucking, I love Blade 2. I love Hellboy. I love Crimson Peak. I love Shape of Water. I love fucking Pacific Rim. Oh my God. Like, I love Del Toro. I love him. I, I, I frequently, I think, Every other time we get together at some point, I bring up the fact that like, oh man, what if we got the Hobbit movie that Del Toro was going to do? Like, wouldn't that yeah. have been so good? It's like a perennial like thought. Like, I think 1% yeah. of my brain is always, um, is <laughs> like, always fixated what if, on that thought. Like, what if the Hobbit was Del Toro? Um, I, I, the, the only story I can think of with this, the only thing, because really it's just, it's a thing that we talk about sometimes where it's one of those movies where you're like, man, I got to see that. And just, it just kind of slips through your fingers. It's just like, ah, it's never the time. It's never the time. It never comes up. It right, never happens. Right. And the only thing I can think of is that when this movie came out, I was a child. Um, and fair, I, fair. I have very specific memories, this film, and then like a few others of like going to the blockbuster video. I get, no, we would have gone to the Hollywood video, my dad and I, on the uh, weekends. R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh, Real ones, no, video. Hollywood video or bust. Hollywood video ruled, was so good. And I, I remember every weekend going over and looking at the row of popcorns and just being like, is this the weekend I can get my dad to get a popcorn? Is this the, is this the time? Like, Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, but I, this and like a few other movies, I have very specific memories of just looking at the cover of the movie. And I would do this thing with, because we've talked about a lot. I'm not a scary boy. I'm not like super into horror. I certainly was not as a child. But like movies that kind of scared me, the closest I'd get to them is I would get, I'd pick up like the cover, like the VHS or the DVD, and I'd just look at it. And I'd turn around and I'd read the description on the back and I'd get so scared and I'd put it back. 
And I would never like bring it. I'd never be like, yeah. dad, we should watch yeah. this. I'd never push for it because I didn't want to. The level of scared I was willing to go to was I'm going to look at the cover. I'm going to turn around and then I'm going to put it back and never think about it again until three weeks later when I have to look at it again, <laughs> scare myself a little bit more. And Pan's Labyrinth was one of those movies that I remember just like looking at the cover of just the and then turning around and seeing like, it's like a, like a scary satyr, right? That's like the thing with that character. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a satyr, but like fucked up, like looking at that guy and just looking at like a sad little girl next to that guy, just fucking terrified me. And I'd get so scared and then I'd have to put it back, but I'd look at it like every couple weeks just to remind myself. So that is, I think that that memory has in some way fueled my, my indecision to watch the movie now as an adult. I think it has. Well, very cool. And um, so you alluded to the the very scary Seder. Um, mm. Beyond that, using that as a jumping off point, what do you know about Pan's Labyrinth? It's sort of, um, it's sort of Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe-esque or like Coraline-esque. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I think, I don't know. yeah, I think like if the two of them kind of uh, had a had a weird uh, offspring directed by Guillermo del Toro, that's actually a pretty good, um, it's actually a pretty good reference point. Okay, yeah, it's it's like those two those two films, and it's like a little girl in World War Two, and she is living in like a manse in Mexico. And there's Nazis and she falls into like a strange twisted fantasy, like Alice in Wonderland fantasy land. And it's, it's very dark and spooky and it's a metaphor for Nazis. Uh, yes. Yep. Pretty much. Okay. Um, hey, hell yeah. Like that's pretty much exactly, uh, exactly what it is. Um, it is not in Mexico. It is in Spain. Mm, okay, but, makes sense. Yeah. Um, I said that and then I immediately went, how did the Nazis get to Mexico? <laughs> right, 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 right. And um, and I mean, we'll we'll get into this and it's um yeah, I mean we'll 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 get into it, but it is uh it's I believe and I am not an expert in this shit, so I could be wrong. And like mm. I'm sure Twitter, please feel free to correct me if I am wrong. Um it's, I don't believe that they are the Nazis. I believe yeah, they the, are like the Spanish forces, yeah, like the, the Spanish, Spanish fascist. fascist forces that have mm -hmm. allied with the Nazis, but like same fucking thing. Like yeah. politically they're Nazis, but like it is yeah. not the German forces. They are not the um, German National Socialist Party. They are. Correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty spot on. Um, do you know anything else about this movie? I mean, there's obviously like a lot of like iconic like design and a lot of like iconic imagery, but. Is Doug Jones the scary satyr? I believe he is. Yes. Okay. That um, would frequent Del Toro collaborator. Yes. I believe he is the scary satyr. And like, this is such an unoriginal joke, but he's also, I believe, like the Mitch McConnell with the eyes. Yes. Thing. Yes. I forgot about the Mitch McConnell monster. Yes. I Right. Yeah, and it's like, uh -huh. and the thing is, is I know that that's such a fucking like overplayed fucking joke but it is just it's, it's weird it's so spot on it's like, weird how like, much I you wish like, like there's a lot of there's a lot of like hashtag resist like mm -hmm. 
hashtag nevertheless she girl boss like <laughs> jokes out there that just like are so hacky and like but at the same time it's just like it is so fucking spot on yeah. that that thing it's looks like, like Mitch McConnell yeah that yeah. you just kind of can't not make the joke and Mitch McConnell is kind of a terrifying alien fascism monster in a lot of ways in so. a lot of ways I agree yeah yeah so that's appropriate <laughs> Well, what else, Carson? Is there anything else you know about Pan's Labyrinth? I, I, I don't think so. I don't know any of the other. I mean, I always, Doug Jones is always in the hole for Del Toro. If you see some terrifying Del Toro beast, that's just a guy buried under 30 pounds of makeup. Probably Jones. It's probably Doug Jones. Yeah. yeah he's great. He's so good. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it. Wonderful. Well, if that is the case, let's go ahead and get into our little game. Oh, yeah. And the game we are playing this week is a classic. It is a staple. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the show. Mm. It is mm. Rotten Tomatoes, The Price is Right. Okay, hell yeah, I'm ready. So Let's if this it. is your first time joining us, uh, this game is pretty much exactly how it sounds. Uh, I have selected three films that um, Carson and I are going to try to guess their uh, score, their tomato meter score on the Rotten Tomatoes uh, tomato meter. And uh, the closest without going over wins. I've got three films, so it's best two out of three. Mm -hmm. And uh, with that said, Carson, are you ready? I am so ready. Wonderful. Well, as always, the film we are discussing first in this game is the film we're covering this week, which is Pan's Labyrinth. I mm, I mean, this is beloved. This is a beloved film, you know, yes. not, uh, it, it is a frequent thing with, um, you know, auteuristic directors that by the time they, get to the point that they're winning Oscars, their earlier films are then reappraised as the classics that they are. But this thing has kind of been a cult classic for a long time. Uh, so like, do I think it it's gonna do Shape of Waters tomato score numbers? No, but it's gotta be up there. So I'm gonna say 87. 87. 87. Okay. That's respectable. I think I'm gonna even go a little bit higher mm. because I think my memory of this film, and again, like we were, we were kids when it came out. Yeah. But I remember this film being one that like, this is one of the first films that like, as a, like a preteen or like a very young teenager, I remember like seeing it on demand on Time Warner Cable and <laughs> then just like never having like seen a trailer or never having like anything uh, by that. I just like, I read the name and I was like, I know that's a good movie. Like, I know that I have seen that, like, people, like, who are smarter than me, people who, like, write for, like, websites and magazines and whatnot, like, they have written about this movie. And, like, I don't know what this movie is, but I know that it is good because I have yeah. seen it before. Yeah. And so I remember watching it for the first time, like, I was probably in, like, the sixth or seventh grade and just, like, totally not getting it, but being, like, the monsters were cool. Um, yeah. but just like knowing even then that like this was supposed to be something special. So like, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go up a little bit higher. I'm going to say 93. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I think that's appropriate. And, um, the next film that we're doing is perhaps a bit of an obvious choice. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, the Jim Henson film Labyrinth starring oh. Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie. Okay. All right. Uh, oh, fuck. I don't even... Cards on the table. I haven't seen Labyrinth. I haven't seen it. This... Oh, Caroline is making such a face. Okay. Okay. 
Okay. Oh my God. All right. Next season, get ready. Set your calendars. Oh my God, Carson, uh, please don't watch year. Labyrinth. Before, We're doing Labyrinth before we before we hash out our our future calendar. Okay. Um. But but like so that's the thing because like Labyrinth is not a critically claimed piece of film. Labyrinth is a weird cult movie. Well, but that's the thing is like Labyrinth. Labyrinth has that. It is one that I think the tomato meter score is going to be very interesting. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Because I think like it is so beloved nowadays. And it is Mm -hmm. one of those things where it's like, I have heard people who like, I have heard critics who are like very technically minded be like, no, this thing is a fucking masterpiece because of like the design and the puppetry Mm -hmm. and like all that stuff. Just like, no, this thing is like, just like on another level. Um, Mm -hmm. But, like, it is so goofy and silly and strange and kind of, like, nonsensical, but, like, in a way that it's kind of supposed to be because it's a a, a fantasy film starring David Bowie and a bunch of Muppets Mm -hmm. about a teenage girl. Um, So, like, yeah, I am very interested to see what the tomato meter is because on a technical level, it is an incredible, like, masterwork. And in terms of, like, a narrative thing that functions it's kind of yeah very charming but not great yeah yeah but and also it's old enough that anyone who's putting a rotten tomatoes score on it they're looking at it with hindsight so maybe it's a bit maybe for that reason it'd be right no but that's exactly it but also too it's like it is that thing where it's like rotten tomatoes Mm. does publish Mm. historical yeah they do there there was a thing where like i believe it was I think it was Citizen Kane. Like we talked about this before, but like when, yeah, when Citizen Paddington. Kane fell below Paddington, yeah, Paddington, I think it was like they found like they found like they updated their like historical archives and they added like two reviews from like 60 mm-hmm. years ago of Citizen Kane that just like that knocked it down a peg because they do publish like historic reviews. And if you go through like especially like older films you'll see like they will link to like newspaper archives so i really have no idea where labyrinth is going to be for the sake of not going over i'm gonna say 70 70 that's very good and very safe yeah very it's a safe answer it is i think i'm going to go a little bit higher i'm gonna say 81 81 all right okay and then um the next film that we will be discussing is, I believe, a 2015 release. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Yes, a 2015 release, which is the film starring Hugh Jackman, Pan. What? It is the 2015. Oh, wait, like, is dark, this, gritty, oh, fuck. Is like, this the one? Fantasy reboot of Peter Pan. Is this the one where the pirates? Sing smells like Teen Spirit. That is correct. Okay, is this correct. movie doesn't. This movie doesn't fucking exist. Um, ten. 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 That's real. That's fuck. You Chapman was the lead in that. Yes, he was. He was Captain Hook. That's what he had to do for them to let him make. Uh, fucking greatest showman. I cannot. Wow. I guess. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Look up after after we after we get done with this. Look up the design of his costume in that movie because it is insane. 
Okay. Um, shit, 10 is really good. <laughs> and the thing That's is- a good answer. And the thing is, is I feel like I probably should go up from you. Yeah. But like, I feel like if it's, if it's any higher than this, it's probably overrated. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to go with a classic, actually. I'm going to go with a classic Price is Right rule. Oh, no. And I am not going to go up from you. But instead, I am going to bet $1, Bob. Fuck. And I am going to bet 1% betting that it is perhaps lower than 10. That maybe it's like sitting at like an 8 or a 9. Wow. That's cruel, but very smart. Yes. Yes. So... With that said, uh, Carson. Yeah. Are you ready to uh, to go and watch uh, Pan's Labyrinth? I, I am currently Googling Hugh Jackman Pan costume. And then as soon as I'm done with that, I'm going to watch okay. Pan's Labyrinth. Jeez, look at him. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, he's got like all like the feathers and like. That's wild. Okay. Look. It is wild. It's kind of really good. I kind of love it. Well, with that said, uh, we are going to go watch a film that is uh, just as designed as Pan and probably significantly better designed than Pan, which is Pan's Labyrinth. Wow. All right, let's do it. We are back. Back from Francoist Spain. We sure are. <laughs> is that is that what is that what it's called? Francoist? Yeah, when the yeah, Francisco Franco, you know, when he, you know, the fascist regime of early 1900s Spain. Yeah. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Wow. You know what else is cool? This movie? <laughs> yeah, Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? This it's movie is so good. good. Okay, so I finished this movie because um uh, here's the thing about me is that my time management skills are pretty dookie doo doo. So I finished this movie like literally five minutes ago, uh, and so I I'm literally like, love that. I'm like yeah. so I'm I'm like still real hyped from it, you know? Like I'm still really hypey about it. I love this energy for you. Yeah. Ah, well, so let's we have to get back to our game, but before yes. we do, Carson, do you have just like a like a like a like a one sentence take for us? Ah. Uh... I don't know. I'm like still so awash in emotions. It's just, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like maybe Del Toro's masterpiece. Like this is maybe the most pure expression of what clearly his interests and aesthetic aims are. Definitely. Yeah. No. And I, I think that is, um, I think that is, I don't know that I am 100% like convinced, like, yes, that is 100% mm-hmm. true, but I think I, generally believe that as well and I think we can talk in the back half um kind of about what that means um for our love of del Toro as a filmmaker however that being said we have a little game to go back yes we do yes we do Corey do you have our scores I have them absolutely do have our school scores pulled up and ready to go okay (laughs) all right let's go all right so the first film we are talking about is the film that we are talking about today Pan's Labyrinth as a reminder, Carson guessed 87. Mm. Caroline guessed 93. 93. 93. 
And Pan's Labyrinth clocks in at 95. Damn. Okay, Mama needs a win, baby. Mama needs a win. Not I can't to be believe. dramatic, but Mama really needs a win. <laughs> Stop. Uh, it's not going to be this week, but let's go. Let's go. Uh, I don't know right. that. I don't know that, but I've been so accustomed this year. 2022 is not my year. I, is- I won last season, and I don't yeah. know that I've won a week. I don't think so. Not yet. You you have a you have a couple joint wins in there and like the mm. yeah uh, all right film number two uh, yes. the film that I thought we were watching until I rented this movie off Amazon and God saw, I love that um, you, I, Cor- Corey you texted us that last night and I was like Corey you are not the first person to have made that <laughs> mistake yeah. Uh, and then when I caught up and what I missed when I was listening to what y'all did for a the first half this morning I I giggled real hard mm-hmm. um, all right so labyrinth. David Bowie, Jennifer Connelly, uh, Jim Henson. What a trio. Caroline guest 81. Carson guest 70. And by the look on Caroline's face, I think she can already tell that Labyrinth clocks in uh, at 74. No. Ooh. Ooh. Damn. Caroline, okay. had, Caroline had too much faith in the star man. Yeah. I, I did. I had uh, not enough faith in Del Toro. And you put too um, much into Bowie. And Last but certainly not least, a movie that I am disappointed I have not seen, 2015's Pan. Are you uh, sad that you haven't seen this? <laughs> look, look, I I a little bit. I had Is not it the heard of it. Feather breeches that I mean, look. I had not heard of look. it until you all described it. And I was like, it's actually kind of shocking to me that I didn't see this. Mm-hmm. Um Carson guessed 10. Caroline went. Uh, one dollar, Bob. I went one dollar, Bob. So lesson of the week is Caroline overestimated Bowie and underestimated Jackman because Pam clocks in at twenty-seven. Damn. It's that high. Wow, it is that high? One out of every four critics walked out of that movie and said, ah, "Yeah, okay." Because <laughs> all I remember, Carson, congratulations, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. My only thing is, like, I remember, like, the Smells Like Teen Spirit bit from that movie, like, went viral. Yes, I saw that. And I just remember, like, watching that and being, like, oh, no. Like, it was, like, all over, like, Twitter and, like, um, probably, I mean, like, probably Instagram. I don't know. But, like, Twitter is my gauge of social media. Um, And I just remember seeing that posted everywhere. Just, like, what the fuck is this? And, like, I can't believe that. I mean, I guess maybe there's a couple other bops. I don't know. Given just that and the Batman, if you were to make a supercut of every movie that uses the Nirvana song, like, I imagine it'd probably be pretty wet and wild. Oh, well, I mean, we'll have to exclude Come As You Are because that is an extremely overused needle drop. But don't get me wrong. I love that song. That's a great song. But like, very, very, very... Maybe not even overused. It's very popular in needle traps no, that I feel no. like that's going to dilute the wet and wildness. Yeah, not that. as good as breed or territorial pissings. <laughs> Can you tell that I'm <laughs> Nirvana deep cuts is what I'm about. Yeah, no, I get the joke. I get the yeah. joke. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> anyway, Carson, yeah. let's get back to Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, so Talk to me about your experience watching Pan's uh, Labyrinth. The Labyrinth of the Fawn. It's Spanish title. Um, uh, so I started it last night and then it was one of those things where I had, I had worked a double 
at work and I was very tired and I, I was in, like, I was interested as soon as it started, I was like, okay, this thing's got like Spanish Miyazaki vibes. And I am into that. Like, definitely, definitely. Like, very into that. Um, but also the fact that I was read, like I had to read subtitles about 20 minutes in, it got to the point where I'm like, my brain is too tired to like focus that hard. And so I had to, I was like, okay, no, tomorrow morning. So then I, so, you know, tomorrow morning, I finished the last hour. Um, but yeah, this thing just like rips. It gets better and better and better as it goes along. It really builds. Um, I, I, ah, boy, I mean, just like there's so many cool things in it. Like so many cool ass creature designs and so many cool little bits and pieces. I like that it basically has the same, uh, I did think of this joke and I don't, I'm not sure if it's like entirely fully formed, but it has the same basic narrative structure of, uh, uh, oh God, Rise of Skywalker, where it's like, you need to get a key to get a knife to find the door. <laughs> no. um, but like the performances are all like universally pretty fucking excellent. Very good child acting at the center of this thing. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Doug, Doug Jones haunts my dreams he is the most terrifying human being on the planet just because of the way he moves right well i was gonna say also too like but also like given shape of water and hellboy like he kind of haunts even like the good dreams too like yeah no like he he's he's definitely a boy oh oh doug jones fucking rules i also did i did have to look it up i was like there's no way well i ended up i saw it on like the amazon prime like whatever the fuck they call it, like the wind, window screen in X-ray vision or whatever. Yeah, X-ray vision. And it's like they have, you know, the voice of, I'm like, there's no way that Jones is doing the voice of the fawn too. Cause like, I'm like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to like throw shade on Doug Jones, but I was like, holy shit, that Spanish accent is like incredible. I'm like, that, right, like, right. And it doesn't sound like him at all. Like I know what Doug like Jones that is like a native like. Spanish speaker. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it's like a different guy. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's it's all the shit that del toro loves it's like you know like the power of like oppressed peoples fighting like fascist regimes and fantasy nonsense and like the wide hopeful eyes of children uh like you know issues with fathers and like oppressive patriarchs and uh it just rips it just rips it rips and rules and it's cool and it's a little, I will say, I mean, if anything, I'm like, if there's a criticism I could give to it, and it's one of those things I probably got to watch a few more times is like, it feels a little, in terms of its story structure, it is a little all over the place. But the fact that it builds so well to that ending, I think means that that fundamentally doesn't matter super hard. Right. Yeah. No, definitely. And I mean, it is like, I mean, you, <laughs> you make the rise of Skywalker joke that you yeah. have to, you have to get a key so you can get a knife so you can, yeah. which like, I mean, but that, that's, that's very fairy tale. Yes, yes. And in a film like this, where it's like one character, like, like one protagonist going through, like, you know, the the journey of, like, mm -hmm. several, like, tasks that lead to one another. Like, it tracks through this in a way that, like, you know, in a film like Rise of Skywalker, for example, where, like, they're just constantly throwing new elements at you, but there's, like, eight people and there's, like, three kind of, like, subplots 
allegedly weaving in and out of each other like it becomes so jarring Mm -hmm. but in a film like this it does become much it feels much more like a like an odyssey kind of thing you know like a like like literally like the homer's odyssey where it's like and then they you know and then they get past sirens okay now that the sirens are gone here's Mm -hmm. a new hitherto uh whatever it is uh, like un like unmentioned obstacle that we've never even like alluded to was going yeah. to be in this book here's the new obstacle to get past that like was not set up was not you know like foreshadowed was not nothing and it's just yes. like they got past the last one and now there's a cyclops now and it's like but it, it yeah what's the word for if a cyclops is one eye what's the word for a creature that has two eyes but they're both in its hands a hand clops <laughs> sure a hand clop here's the hand clops and here's the handy clops yeah, it's, I, well, I mean, if, and I'm not even saying there's a problem. Again, I've had literally right. no time to uh, let no, of course. Like, digest, like, these are first thoughts. I'm like, if there is a problem, and I'm not even sure that there is, I think it just comes from the fact that it is this dual narrative that is going on, and one of the narratives is, like, incredible, like, incredibly, like, Hollywood, it, it's incredibly, like, Hollywood linear, you know, it is a literal, um, like historical drama that's being set against the fantasy drama and the fantasy drama is episodic. And like those two things against each other are at times kind of awkward. Um, But I mean, I think I keyed, especially I think I started to have that problem last night, like after the first meeting with the fawn where I was like, is just, just going to be like every so often we go back to this and it never really connects like what's going on there. Um, But then basically once she goes out for the first task and that dress she's wearing immediately. Cause I mean, I'm like, there's no way it's not a very purposeful choice. Um, I'm like, okay. Oh, this is an Alice in Wonderland thing. And at yeah. that moment I went, okay, I get it. I get that the, the fantasy aspect of this is going to be like an episodic aside that is set against the historical drama. It's, I don't even necessarily think that the two things are going to interact and they right. kind of don't like, yeah. Yeah, no, and I think that that is, I think that's a reason this film has a lot of staying power with a lot of people, because I think, too, especially, like, American slash English-speaking audiences are very used to, um, are very used to allegory. Yeah. I mean, like, even just, like, period, like, it, they're very used to, like, Oh, and like the fawn directly represents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this, you know, like this force in her life that clearly is also like, you know, yeah. and the key clearly represents X, Y, and Z. And I think that like, I think one thing that I always, I don't even know that I would use the word struggle with. I would just say like attention that I always feel every time I watch this movie is like, the design of the fawn in particular is yes. so creepy and so unsettling and unnerving. Yeah. And it very much meshes with the rest of the creature design. And most of the other creatures in this film are like malevolent, evil creatures, like actively yeah. trying to kill her. Yes. And so you have this feeling throughout the entire movie. Like every time I watch it, it's like, 
and then the fawn's gonna turn evil right yes, like this yes, is like, yes, like she's yes. clearly getting played like a fiddle right like this is clearly like the allegory that's going on here is like it's a fascism thing where mm-hmm. it's like you're told you're gonna get this power and like really you're being used right mm-hmm. and the answer is like not really the answer is kind of like the fawn never double crosses her nothing he says is ever like i mean he lies to her ah, see but that's the again i that's you're the, you're 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 pinpricking the thing because and i it, it's purposeful like look del toro right. knows del toro fucking shape of water del toro knows how to design a creature that is is kind of scary but in context is very lovable Yes, correct. And the fawn is not that. The fawn it always looks malevolent and terrifying, right up until the last fucking, you know, the last fucking scene with him in the in the in the, the kingdom, you know. Um, and it's no, I had the exact same expectation, especially once you get to once you get to the 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 bequeathment of the second task, and she sees the stone, and he's like, "That's me, and that's you." And she's like, "And who's the baby?" And he's like, "Not important. Go do the right, task." Right. And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, ah, okay. I don't like that." And it's the same the same scene. He's like, "And you'll go to your father's kingdom with its seven circular gardens." And I'm like, "Is her dad the devil? Is her dad fairy Satan? Like, that's not. Uh, wait, what's going on here?" And you know, clearly there is this. This is a movie about choice. Like this, that I think is the, you know, the key theme in this film. Um, and it's it's kind of simplistic in the way that fairy tales are, but it's also in its in its aesthetic and in its messaging, it's a little bit more textured because, like, you're right. I keep expecting the fawn to like there to be a very explicit double cross. And the exactly. thing that the thing that like I was starting to wonder, especially once I get to that point, is like, okay, is the is it going to be kind of a, the narrative begins and ends in sort of the same way? Because at the beginning, um, the initial narration is about how the princess runs away from her father's kingdom. And then the end of it, it is like, okay, we've set up this new patriarch, this other, like this fascist, and she runs away from the kingdom. But she only see like there is a revelation of like, well, the the other dad was Satan too. And it's like fairy dad and fascist dad are both, you know explicitly linked but that's not exactly what happens it's right like it's it's there's another message in there which is like okay this film is also about like the importance of stories and like hope in some ways and how they can delude us but they can also help us right you know and and i think too like i think a I think a reason that he is kind of playing with like the escape is kind of like this terrifying imagery and all of this stuff. And like, you know, the fawn who, you know, definitely has, maybe I shouldn't even say definitely, like clearly has some room for like, "Mm, you probably, you might have some ulterior motives here, my guy. Like you might be uh, like, you know, it, it never clearly goes into that, like, I have been tricking you, I have been a villain this whole time thing, is it's like, I think it really hits on that, like, like, that specter of war that's mm-hmm. going on in that thing where it's like, you know, the stories and the refuges and the communities we, like, form and create, like, to kind of cope with, like, the horrible violence going on around us in this world, like, they can be beautiful and they like very much are in so many ways. But um, at the same time, there is kind of always that looming specter of terror, like within them. And it's like, you know, we watch, 
you know, whether it's, whether they are like propaganda films or whether they are, you know, or whether they are like actually like counterculture revolutionary, like you watch films that are kind of like allegorically about real world, like events and trauma. And there kind of always is that like, that looming dread of like, no, like I can tell this is about Vietnam, you know what I mean? Or like, or just like, or just like, (laughs) oh my God, like, like, you know, like you watch some of those old, like, like forties, like Capra films. And you're just, you're just like, this is really like nice and uplifting. But like, when I contextualize it about like what this guy went through in the war, like it's the Peter Jackson documentary, like the four came back or whatever it is, you know? Um, Yeah. It's like when you contextualize it with like the, and a lot of this was cope from World War II. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like there is kind of that like, like it, it kind of undercuts itself with darkness, even if the work of art isn't doing that. And I yeah. think it's like, I think Del Toro kind of nails that in a way that's like super cool because it's like, yes, this is kind of her cope to be like, okay, like not only is my dad a horrifying, like high ranking fascist. Yeah. Like he is also just like, an ungodly horrible person to like be around you know mm-hmm. an extent dad mm-hmm. i think i might have just said that there but like you know but it is yeah, the, of, like yeah her fake daddy her, but her yes new, yes new the father yeah. figure yes. who like i am living with and all that stuff He's like explicitly does not want to call like, dad yeah yeah like not only is he like like a helping lead a terrible military like operation like not only is his philosophy bad but he's like dragging me into like the fucking like a fucking war front and Mm -hmm. he is also just like not even like a kind caring person to be around like interpersonally you know what i mean yeah yeah so that like of course like she is going to need to find some kind of like refuge some kind of solace some kind of cope there but like that's always kind of gotta be shadowed with like a little bit of terror and a little bit of dread and i think that's very cool and very um very like a very important bit because it's like it makes it feel you know because i think a lot of like a lot of films that literalize because like i mean you know it's del toro and like i think i think an argument that can easily be had about this movie that i've gone on record before of like Mm -hmm. Like it's unimportant. You can argue it to death, and it doesn't really matter at the end yeah. of the day. But like, one can make the argument of like, oh, like is the fawn even real? Real, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? That's, that's, and that's it's like somebody point. can be like, no, like it's so obviously like literal, and some people can be like, mm-hmm. oh my god, it's so obviously a metaphor. And it's like, no, it's a film. Yeah. It's like it's a magical realist thing. Like it's yeah. it's it's a it's a movie. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter. It's neither it's neither real nor unreal. But like the thing is, is like, I think that like a lot of films that do deal with that like metaphor and that literalization of like what the character is going through. I think that like the implication of like, you know, and then they come up with this beautiful fantasy to like cope, but then they believe they're living in it can kind of read as like delusion. You know what I mean? And I think an important part of what he's doing with the design and the way that this world works is it's like, it makes it feel much less like a delusion. Like it makes it feel a lot more grounded in her Mm -hmm. reality of the way Mm -hmm. she sees the world of like, no, 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 no. Like she is dealing with like these horrifying things. So of course the places she's going to escape to are going to have some hope, but they have to be like, like they have to be just like embroiled in that fear and embroiled in that like darkness. Yeah. And like, and, and we kind of mentioned this in 
passing but to like to get out explicitly it's like the especially i'm thinking of this now as we're talking about it it's all it's 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 clearing itself up for me this movie but like the tasks are very explicitly i think a it is del toro kind of doing a deconstruction of the idea of a fascist regime which is itself always built on a kind of fairy tale of a like right. you you do task x y and z to support the you know the great leader or fucking you know the captain the father the patriarch the dude at the top and you complete tasks x y and z and you give of yourself to the state in you know in these ways and your reward is a kind of eternal life a a you know a you get to be part of the great kingdom you are a citizen of the of the whatever fucking right. dumb metaphor they come up with and that is what she is promised she's promised do these tasks do them unquestioningly and you get to be a fucking princess you get to you know in some way uh, li- live literally live forever you are not human you get to rule above everyone and you know, that's kind of what the captain is promised too. Like he has this whole concern with his legacy living on after him. He's got all this daddy drama and he needs to have a son so that he can feel like he's going to live forever because that's what fascism is. It's just trying to like feed. Right. And it's the thousand year right. Yeah, and exactly. The help me build this thing now and we will live in fame for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And then... The, yeah, I mean, the moment that I was so jazzed about, I mean, a couple of great moments at the end that I was really jazzed about when the rebels, okay, first off, this is, I'm, I'm now just getting into like bits of the movie that I like, but like the, okay, so Mercedes runs into the woods, right? And then <laughs> they, they catch up to her, obviously they do. And the moment of her pulling the knife out and she's just had this like great moment of power striking out at the captain and just fucking bad bitch behavior. And then they catch up to her. And there's this moment where she's very weakly holding the knife out and you're like, oh, sh-. like, oh my God, she's totally overpowered. She's so overpowered. Like, oh my God, you know, they're totally going to get her. And then the reversal of her putting it to her own neck and then immediately all the, the dumbass fascists around her are like, oh shit, no, actually, no, she still has the power here a little bit. Like that rips. And then they're still going to push her. She's going to have to sacrifice herself. Then no, the rebels are back. Her brother's not dead. Like, oh, so cool. Like, cool, cool, cool. And then- and then it's the completion of the theme that I was just talking about of, you know, the captain being like, tell my son when I die. And she's like, your son's never going to know your name. And then, ah, and he's gone. Like, good shit. Good shit. And then yeah, that juxtaposed shit. with um, with Ophelia explicitly disobeys and is let into the kingdom anyway. Which seems like, as we were talking about before, seems like a kind of incongruous element in terms of the, like, fairy tale logic of the thing but thematically it makes sense it is you know the completion of that arc yeah 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 this no yeah this movie's good this movie's really good and i think good. too like um i who um my letterboxd review of this film mm-hmm. is um this is better than whatever your shitty favorite war film is or whatever your favorite shitty war film is um because I don't know, like this one really like um when I was in undergrad, one of the classes I took was about the literature of war. And we like extended that to, you know, several different mediums. Like we extended it to comics and we extended it to film and we extended it to like 
obviously novels, but like, um, like weed and like that was like one of the reading heaviest courses I ever took. And that professor um, is wonderful and she is great, uh, but she really threw us in the ringer in terms of like mm. the amount of content we were like getting through. Um, and it is just this thing of like, I think it is important that this film is, I think that it's important for the way that this film works rather that it is coming from a, um, like a Spanish speaking country that specifically is, you know, um, like Del Toro specifically is concerned um, frequently with um, like marginalization and marginalized mm. people. And I think that it's important too that while this film is about Spain, it is coming from like Del Toro is, um, Del Toro is a Mexican director yeah. Yeah. and it is coming from a part of the world that while like, you know, inherently tied to Spain for the rest of forever. Um, like as you know, for the foreseeable future, for as long as we will be alive, Mexico as a as a country will exist in the shadow of Spain. Yeah. I think it is important that it is coming from a place from like a marginalized person from a marginalized nation talking about marginalized communities, because I feel yeah. like especially too, like, yes, this is not specifically about um, you know, this is not specifically about the western front of world war ii mm -hmm. but it is happening you know in world war ii it's talking about how you know this th there was a civil war in spain during world war ii and it was a proxy war but be between fascists and mm -hmm. non-fascist forces <laughs> and so i think it's like so important because so many films from like america or england about mm -hmm. like anti-fascism in world war ii is well, wasn't it great that those terrible bad guys came in and we, the good guys, our country, we stood up because we were the good guys and they were the bad guys. And like, boy, howdy. And it frequently is so focused on um, nationalism or if it is not, and if it is more focused on like individual characters, it is much more about how like, boy, howdy, war is hard for an individual soldier, isn't it, huh? But I think that like um, so many films, you know, that aren't from coming from marginalized communities more, especially coming from places like America and England, they focus on how great the national power is. And they focus on like, isn't it so good that when those bad fascist people rose up who, let's be clear, the fascists are bad guys because the fascists Literal are bad fascists. guys. Literal well, no, fascists. But like, but like, I'm talking, yeah. but like in like so many films about like, like from America and England and like other allied, like historically allied powers, like their, their whole thing is not like, wow, isn't fascism bad because this is how it operates. And it's like this horribly like oppressive regime that will never do anything but throw more and more of its citizens mm -hmm. through the meat grinder and yeah. like who will just kill more and more of its citizens in order to like you know congregate power in the hands of people. the no, ego no, no. of a couple of guys really exactly exactly yeah. it's like it's like no 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 well fascism is bad because fascism is bad. you know what i mean it yeah. never minds it more deeply than that or if it is about individual like soldiers if it is about individual people it is about like World War II is just used as like a, well, isn't war hell? Like, doesn't it yeah. suck to have to go and like kill other people? And like, isn't that traumatic? And I think it is so important to how this movie operates that it really does kind of like 
not only really plumb what fascism is and not only really like, like you were talking about Carson, like bring that into the text of both the fairy tale and like how the captain like literally is as a human being. Like, I don't like the film never like full out states. Like there's never a moment in the film where a character is like, and the only reason you're good at fascism is because you're so evil yourself. But like, yeah, really clearly is like, he is rising through the ranks because he is a horrifyingly evil person. Mm -hmm. And like, it is not like, oh, well, if, like, he's an evil person in that, like, he is mean and, like, you know, twirls his mustache. It's like, yeah. he's an evil person because he fucking, like, does not care about other people. And he uses people and he, like, leaves people. Like, he ruins people's lives for his mm -hmm. own personal gain. And, like, you know, and that is what fascism is built on. Not like, mm -hmm. well, and then an evil guy is over there being a fascist because only evil people are fascists. It's like, no, like, this is how it, like, operates. So I think it is, like... I say this both as like a very far left person. And I don't say this to be like a, like hashtag resist. Like I'm yeah. saying this flippantly, like I'm not saying this in a flippant way. Like I feel like this film really hits harder after the last few years mm -hmm. because like fascism has always been at least to our generation, like a weird, like kind of like a thing that happened historical years specter ago. yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exactly and after the last like seven years in this country of seeing a lot of people and around the, the right just yeah and and around the and world, around the world. Too, around yeah, the world. everywhere but just like especially to in america like seeing so many people just openly embracing like literal fascist ideology mm -hmm. like i watched this film like for the first time in a while like two or three years ago and i was like oh holy shit yeah yeah i'm but, yeah, Corey, thinking, you said you had something to say. Yeah, no, Corey, talk, think, please. Yeah, I just want to hit two points really fast. Yeah. I think uh, bouncing off something that Caroline was saying towards the end of that, um, this film really isn't didactic at all, and I think it works really well in its favor. The film opens with the general beating a guy's face in with a bottle until it's literally just pulp, which also yeah, is like um, one of the cooler things I've seen in a movie. Um, makeup. Mm. Yeah. And then it ends with him shooting like an 11 year old girl. Like, at, yeah. at, so it's really like the way that it's reductive to say actions speak louder than words, but everything he does tells you exactly what you fucking need to see. Yeah. yeah. Not a what subtle I, villain. The, no, not at all. The original no. point I was going to make uh, sort of to the war film um, conversation is, oh, I, I struggled a lot with this movie uh Carson you sort of started to touch on this because mm -hmm. of the dual um yeah dual storylines and sort of dual styles that were happening and I struggled with it really until it was over and then mm -hmm. I sat with it for a little bit and I thought I knew what I liked I thought I knew what I felt about it and then I, the longer I sat with it the last line really stuck mm -hmm. out to me of um well because the whole time I was like I'd love to see either of these two films made fully. Like, I don't know that I don't know that I don't understand why they're juxtaposed against each other. Mm. And then the last line of the fairy tale, uh, you know, side being like, you chose not to spill innocent blood. Uh, whatever that full line is really, that is what helped me fully yeah. understand how those two things meld together and why they were juxtaposed. And I just, yeah. Um, it gave me a, that last line really gave me like a deep appreciation for what this thing is doing. Yeah, so Corey, I agree with you 100%.
I and in between what you were saying and what Caroline was saying before, I'm I'm now uh, like I'm putting this movie together. Like I said, I'm putting this movie together on the fly, but like I'm getting it. I'm coming to my take on it. So like before we start, I was skimming through Wikipedia like right before we started, and I saw like in the reception category like Ross Douthit from the New York Times, uh, an interesting writer who I I do not like at all uh, <laughs> uh mentioned he's like this movie plays like communist propaganda it's very simplistic which i don't fucking agree with like is it really it's not it's no. really not about the communist rebels or their ideology and why they're great at all it's pretty much about like this woman and this doctor and this kid who are like in the middle of all this shit and i think that the reason that del toro one i mean he does this all the time he centers as you were saying, Caroline, like he, I think does a very good job, maybe better than any other popular filmmaker working today of balancing the, the political ideology and the, this is about this thing generally and its place in its context in history with, this is what happens to individuals in those systems. You know, like that is why I think Shape of Water works so well, because it's like, it very successfully tells a story about individual, like individuals that are caught in the particularized systemic oppression that they face in 1950s America. But it also applies to things more generally. You can take from it and apply it to other places in life. And what he's doing in this movie, I think, by juxtaposing the fairy tale and the historical drama is that he asks you to look at the fairy tale and see how it is kind of a a parable that has to do with fascism and choice and control, and then look at the historical drama and see that it too is a kind of propaganda, that it is telling you a story that is fairly simplistic, which I think is true. The, the true story of fascism is bad and standing up against it is good, but is also not concerning it. It doesn't have to concern itself about like the very real messy politics of what was going on. Like, hey, I don't know that much about Frank with Spain. I am sure that there was some communist rebels who did some stuff that was probably pretty bad too. I don't know the particulars there, but that's not what this movie is about. What this movie is about is about much broader notions of what fascism represents and what standing up against it represents. And yes. yeah. And, and he can like, yeah, like it's, it's, it's purposeful. Like he's being like, yeah, no, look, look at how I'm, I'm painting things with a bit of a broad brush. Like you can tell that because I'm juxtaposing it with a fucking fairy tale. Right. Yeah. Well, and that your, your talk about like what Del Toro does a lot as a director makes me want to um, use that to kind of pivot into something we hit on earlier about just like Del Toro as a director and like how this fits into his filmography. But also like, I do just want to say uh, if there's one thing the last, 10 or so years has taught me it's that um politically speaking uh mm. fascists and communists are uh complete polar opposites of one another mm. they hate each other more than like any two uh like really like kind of like political ideologies have ever hated mm -hmm. like, like people think capitalists hate communists mm. no 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 no, no my no, friend no. Uh, fucking uh uh fucking fascists hate communists mm -hmm. like let me tell you what and uh, I mean, like, because capitalism is more closely aligned with fascism than it is mm. any, anything else. Spicy However, take, Caroline. That said, that said, like, yeah. it is it is so telling whenever anybody is like, very staunchly anti-communist because you get to just mm -hmm. read that as like, okay, so you're like kind of aligning with the fascists and this bad boy a little bit. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I think with Del Toro's career, 
this is one of those films that like kind I won't say ruins because I've liked a lot of things Del Toro has done yeah. post this film but it is that thing of like this film hits so early on in his career mm-hmm. and it is so fucking masterful in so many yeah. ways is it like it almost it just it just is that phenomenon of like I never like a Del Toro film as much as I probably should mm-hmm. because I'm kind of always hoping it's going to be Pan's Labyrinth again. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And like, yeah. I don't know that he ever reaches these highs again. Yeah. Um, like Hellboy is like super fun. And like, I'm very mixed on Shape of Water. Like I think Shape of Water is good and I enjoy watching it. And, but like, I do think Shape of Water is like, it's a little obvious. You know what I mean? It's yeah, a little it's, like- it's, it's way more... As much as this movie is horrifically unsubtle, Shape of Water is so unsubtle. Right. Like, yeah. But like, what do you think about Del Toro overall? Like, I, I, I think I kind of agree because, like, I, I think, like, Blade Two, both of the Hellboys, especially Pacific Rim, are like kind of all perfect blockbusters, like all perfect popcorn sure, cinema. Sure. In that they are very broad and I think they appeal to a broad audience and they deliver very traditional, very traditional stories with like characters that you can relate to and like great action, but also they're all kind of fucking weird and unique. And like that right. you know, makes them better. Like, um, and then, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. Like this movie does kind of feel like the somewhat rougher, less polished, a little bit more an elegant shape of water. And, like, that is why this movie was only nominated for Best Foreign Feature at the Academy Awards and Shape of Water won, because it's, like, a little bit more understandable, but also not as interesting or good. Right. Yeah. And, like, I I like Shape of Water a lot. I We've talked in this podcast, I think it's, like, as much as, like, I probably think Get Out should have won that year, uh, you know, a lot I'm of not, worse things could have won. Yes, I am. I am not mad about that movie winning the Academy Award, and I am very happy that Del Toro right. won Best Director because I think he deserves it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I would agree about Shape of Water. I think like my thing with Shape of Water is when it won that year, I was like, I was like, an interesting pick. Could have been a lot worse. I mean, like, because yeah. then the next year, I think you get Green Book, right? Yes. Or is that, or is the next year Moonlight? Uh, it's, blah, blah, blah. I think, I think it's Moonlight, Moonlight then Moonlight, Shape, of, Shape Water. of Water. Green Book, Parasite, Nomadland. Yeah. So yeah. that's the thing is, uh, it could have been whatever that year's Green Book was. So I remember, I remember the, I remember the 2017, um, like the, the the 2018 Oscars for the 2017 films, which is when Shape of Water, I believe, won. I remember that being a pretty decent year, actually. It's been a 20, minute. 2017 was a really good year. Yeah. That was yeah. the that was the uh the get out ladybird. That was the Black Panther year too, right? Or, yeah, in the Black Panther. No, year. 20, Black Panther was twenty eighteen. Black Panther was twenty eighteen. Okay. okay. Oh yeah, because Black Panther was against Green Book, and it was like, oh right, <laughs> it was one more thing when I was like, oh, they put Black, they nominated Black Panther. That's so cool. And then fucking Green Book won. And I was like, God damn it, this stupid Academy. I hate it. Like, it right. Sucks. I mean, I I I I say this uh, on Every, one of our Patreon episodes yeah. about the Oscars, which like, yeah. wink, wink, nudge, nudge, mm-hmm. and. uh but like I said this then, it's just like every year we gear up for the nominations and everybody gets so excited. And then every year the nominations come out and everybody gets so angry. And then 
every year uh, over the next two months, people get so hype about the actual ceremony. And then every year the ceremony happens and everybody not only gets angry, but everyone is actively insulted by whatever the Academy does and we yell about it for three weeks. And then like nine months go by and we, we repeat the cycle. Like the Academy exists to insult our intelligence Mm -hmm. annually. And for some reason we still pay. Have you seen the fuck? I'm sorry. We all have just like a, like a mommy slash daddy complex. Is that why we like that? We really do with the, oh, daddy Oscar. He's up there made. Yeah. The, have you seen the fucking, this is, I want to keep this short, but have you seen the, the like user the like nations picks, whatever the fuck they're calling it, like non. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The the popular the it's popular Twitter God. opinion. <laughs> yeah. See, it's insane. Because it's like it's like Cinderella is Cinderella. in there. It's like it's what kind of ones you'd expect. It's like okay, yeah, I get it. Like you know, people like Spider Man Far From Home. That makes sense. And then also like Cinderella. There's but but also then like Power of the Dog, and it is like not. <laughs> it's not Sorry. unlikely. It's actually kind of likely that both the academy and twitter are going to be like yes power of the dog best movie of the year yeah i don't know what that means i don't know what that suggests about the culture but it is wild um yeah i do i do real quickly because again we actually so i was thinking about this because we talked about it in a patreon episode um and I was thinking about it when I was watching the movie because you were like, yeah, I don't always love Del Toro's cinematography. I think that often his production design kind of is so good that the cinematography, like, it covers it. And I was thinking about that watching this movie. And by the end of it, I was like, no, man, this thing's shot pretty fucking well. And I think, it, I think this thing, I think this one is and one of won. his best shot films. And it won for cinematography. And I looked it up yeah. because, and I've always been of the mind, I'm like, no, because, and I make, the, I make the point in that episode, I'm like, yeah, like Shape of Water is not actually that well shot, and like Crimson Peak isn't actually that well shot. Um, but I was like, no, Pacific Rim rules. Like one of the things I like about that movie the most is how like the scale of everything and how grand it right. looks, like well, within the context of the camera. But but here's the thing: I looked it up. So his cinematographer for this movie, uh, also a Guillermo Guillermo Navarro, was the cinematographer for. Um, uh, Devil's Backbone, this. He worked with Tarantino and Jackie Brown. He did a lot of Robert Rodriguez stuff. He's one of the, you know, in with that rat pack in the 90s. He did nice. He did both Hellboys. Um, he did both both Hellboys. Uh, and both of the Twilight Breaking Dawns, part one and two. Two movies. Wink, which wink, I think wink, wink. Movies we are going to be talking about in the future. But movie, I would, I have made this claim to people on this podcast and not that it is kind of crazy how much better the cinematography gets between number three and number four in the Twilight movies. Um, and he did Pacific Rim and also Doolittle for some reason, that one not as good. But I would say compared to um, his cinematographer for Dan Lauston, he had a different cinematographer for uh, fucking- his, mo- his more recent films. Yes. yes. Interesting. And he also did all the John Wicks, but I don't think the cinematography really matters in those movies very much. Those movies are about punching. Um, Yeah, so that's my claim there. No, and I mean, I I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that makes a lot of sense because I think this is like my favorite shot Del Toro that I've seen. Yes, and I do think that like um, I think Pacific Rim, like I mean, if it's the same guy, if it's the other Guillermo, then that makes a lot of sense. But like 
Pacific Rim also too is like working in an established genre. Mm-hmm. So like you get to, I mean, like you still have to know how that genre works and understand how that genre works. Like I don't mean to be reductive with it, yes. but like you still have to understand how that genre works and you still have to understand how to operate a both a literal camera and then also mm-hmm. like the camera of your mind when you are like doing the animation. Like yeah. you have to understand how it should look in order to like craft those images. But like, you know, you get that thing where it's like, well, you're working within a genre that has some like predetermined like ways of shooting. But I just think that like, I think that the camera work in Shape of Water and Nightmare Alley and Crimson Peak always leaves a little something to be desired for me. Yes. It's always a little plain in a way that like I personally, and like I can see the argument of like, well, no, like, they they want to shoot it a little plain because they want these like crazy fantastic elements to be more ingrained in the world you know what i mean like you don't want them to stand out as much by like shooting them in these like crazy stylized ways but like i don't know like i always was just kind of waiting for nightmare alley especially as the tension gets ratcheted up i was kind of always waiting for it to get a little more gonzo yeah and it kind of never did the 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 amount of how expressive this movie can get with its like muddy ass color palette it's like this movie has like three colors in it and despite that it is so vibrant and expressive oh yeah no this movie's beautiful that is that is good cinematography no i mean fucking hey my thing is like compare pacific rim and godzilla v kong uh, good, oh, good yes. counter examples oh, of like movies in which you know both working in the exact same genre using lots of VXF, VXF, VFX and the cinematography really saves one and kills the other. Um, yes. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, back anyway. to Pan's Labyrinth. Kirsten, do you have any more closing thoughts uh, on Pan's Labyrinth? Because I think movie, we're running up on time. This movie bit. is good. This movie is cool. I like The Doctor very much. There is, I mean, similar to Look, the the literal communist that Del Toro puts in uh, Shape of Water. He's he's always got to have like a little beardy guy with some glasses that kind of looks like <laughs> him, and uh, it's usually a character that I'm into. <laughs> I like that guy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Doctor's cool. I like that. I like that. Okay. I thought about this. I don't know. It's just a very minor detail, but I like it. That in two scenes they introduce that one guy that stutters, and all the other rebels like they like you know there's the one line where they make fun of him they're like hey fuck you for stuttering and then he gets captured and it's that i mean that horrible fucking torture scene and it's you know just another example of like the captain being an evil evil man um but then when you reframe the fact that because there's that whole thing where um mercedes tells her brother like here's the key don't attack right away that's what he expects and you think oh her brother was an idiot and he did it anyway but then when they come back, you reframe it with like, no, the fucking stuttering guy is one of the bravest people in the fucking team because he purposely went in with a false flag attack that they knew what weren't going to work. Like, dude's actually very brave. I don't know. That was a little, a little, uh, little detail that I liked. Yeah. In the context. Oh, it's a good movie. It's very rich. I'm gonna watch it a lot more. And uh, yeah, I'm sure only I gets better. Yeah, only gets I'm sure better. my feelings will evolve over time. It's very scary. This movie scared the shit out of me. I will. Yes. I don't know if I uh, quite, as much as I talked about in the first half, how this thing like has haunted my dreams 
since I was a child, despite the fact that I never watched it, it will now continue to haunt my dreams because it is so scary. Yes. And just very quickly, I want to just comment on the fact that this is one of those movies that like, it gets the R rating. Yeah. Not because it is gratuitous, but kind of because it is so like laser precise Mm -hmm. with it. So striking. You know, and, and that's the thing is like, I think a lot of, especially American films, especially blockbusters, it's like, well, if we're going to be rated R, like it's like, it's like why all of Nolan's films are PG or are yeah. PG-13. It's like, it's like, well, you know, we don't go over the top with it. Like we don't like, like the violence, the violence is never like super like, like grisly and horrific. And so therefore the gore is never like grisly and horrific and like all of that stuff. And like, there seems to be a one-on-one thing in a lot of American film. Like Zack Snyder, I think is a very good example. Oh, I was thinking Zack Snyder is like, we're going to go. Yep. Yeah. Like, like the the violence is going to get really like intense. And so therefore there's going to be blood and viscera everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that Del Toro does, that's like really striking, especially for an American audience is that thing of just like, well, no, like we're not going to have people getting like decapitated and fucked up every 20 seconds. There's just going to be two or three scenes of like really intense violence and that gore has to be yeah. real. Yeah. And it's like, and it is just that, it is that thing where it's like, I, I, I did have to look up, I'm like, this has to be rated R, right? But like, yeah. it wasn't that thing that so many American R-rated films is. It's like, you know, well, if you're going to be rated R and you're going to miss out on that 13 to 17 demographic, you better fucking earn it, you know, quote yeah. unquote. And it is just like that. It is it is terrifying when he does employ it. Yeah. Like, basically, the scene, the first scene where the fawn shows up in her bedroom, the movie should be rated R just for that. Yes. Because it's so fucking scary. Literally, I verbally, that first scene, I verbally said, get out. Get out of there. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was just like, I was so scared. I was like, you don't need to be in her bedroom right now, fawn. Fucking crazy person. Fucking weirdo man. <laughs> weirdo fawn bitch. Yeah. Oh, okay. This movie is good. I'm very glad we did it. It is crazy. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but now you have. Now, now you I have. have. Now I have. Uh, I All really, right. I really want to watch Hellboy now. I might go watch both the Hellboys. Yeah. Later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well then, Carson, I'm glad you like this movie. Uh, that I believe is Pan's Labyrinth. Corey, yes, will you tell is. all the nice people at home where they can find us on the interwebs, including uh, the new social media platform? I see you signed oh. us up for the other day. Hey, uh, uh, if you like what you hear, please be sure to like us and subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. Leaving a review also really helps out the visibility of the show. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hhynspod. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and as Caroline hinted, TikTok. We're young, we're hip, we're cool, we're hot. All of those at hhynspod. He's doing another visual bit. He is doing another visual bit. You can post on the TikTok. Hey! I parted my hair down the center. Hey, I I, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna edit that to just be your face. A special mm. thank you to our patrons. If you like a shout out on the show and bonus content, head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash pod. We have multiple levels, all with their own perks, ranging from one to $25 a month. Like I said, if you're interested in hearing more, please visit patreon.com slash pod. Excellent. Excellent. Well, 
Uh, so Carson, that was Pan's Labyrinth. And I am actually asking you because I, I do forget what I, I have, is. Caroline, I have abdicated my throne. I am no longer King uh, of Fairy uh, Hell. Uh, uh, uh. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, as they said before, I had time management issues. So it's not. And who is the king of this hell in which we find ourselves? Corey is, Corey has like Lil Nas X in the Montero music video chopped off my head and taken my crown. Wow. It's my week. Corey's, Corey's got to do an episode. It's my episode. Corey. Okay. So, um, I guess I'll leave this up to you. Um, whether or not, because I know that when we record the episode, you are surprising Carson and I. So I'll let you decide whether or not you want to say the movie we're doing now, or if you want to make it a surprise for the listeners we'll too. Surprise, we'll surprise the listeners. Okay. I'm into it. Excellent. Cool. Excellent. Well, then we will see you next week when we talk Corey's movie. Hey!